I've struggled with how I was going to start this out. But I do feel I, I need to share it. <clears throat> and uh, I just pray you you buckle your seatbelts and you don't turn me off here in the first five minutes because I got a word from God that I want to share with you. But I got another word to it too. This doesn't really fit in my sermon. It kind of does, but I couldn't really fit it in. Um, I guess I'll just go. You know, this time of year is a interesting time of year. And, uh, me personally, I do not like it much at all. I don't like driving down the road, seeing ghosts and witches and skeletons and death and junk everywhere. And every time I walk in the store, I'm confronted by it. I just want to, I feel like I need to, most of you know, or at least some of you know, where I stand on all this. And uh, because I've talked about it over the years. Uh, but I just feel like I need to reiterate, we as a church, we don't celebrate Halloween. We don't celebrate Halloween. We don't have anything to do with it. Other people may, that's between them and God. I'm not looking at them. I just know what God's showing me for you guys. And this is, well, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this. I'll talk to any, if you guys want to come meet with me and sit down and talk, we can talk. I got all kinds of stuff. But this is Satan's holiday. Like you can ask any Satanist, and this is their high holy day. And we should have nothing to do with it. You may not think that you're partaking in any of the satanic stuff that's going on and the opening of portals and spiritual realms and the demonic and any of that stuff. But by you participating in it, you are. Just because you dress up little Susie in a little queen outfit doesn't change the fact that you're still participating in a, the Satanist high holy day. And if you want to, we're not, uh, we're not going to call it a trunk or treat and <laughs> make it seem like it's okay. We just don't have nothing to do with it. I, I, I tell you, I implore you. I don't know what you know, what you understand about all this, but, you know, um, I think it was Anton LaVey who is the, he wrote the Satanic Bible. He said, he said, we're glad that you Christians dress up your kiddos and participate in our celebrations once a year. Talking about Halloween. That's the, the guy who wrote the Satanic Bible said that. And it goes way deeper than that. There's, there's things that happen in this time of year that it's just evil. Literally, you're opening up portals and stuff. Like, I don't, I'm not taking any candy with witches and goblins and skeletons and stuff into my house. I'm not going to save three bucks on some Reese's Cups on November 1st. <laughs> and think that it's okay now to bring this stuff into my house because I saved three bucks on a bag of Reese's. Come on, somebody. God, th these things are abominations to God. Witchcraft, sorcery, necromancing, all that stuff. Is, it's, this whole holiday is about fear and death 
and, and, and witches and warlocks and all this jazz, amen, that goes against what God finds. It's not lovely. It's not pure. It's not true. Amen. And so we shouldn't have anything to do with it. And I'm just telling you that. And you need to be really careful what you're allowing in your home and you're allowing your children to be part of. Because you don't know what might happen. You don't know. There's a reason God talks about all that stuff so much in the Old Testament. You don't, you don't do these things. You don't be part of that. That's what the world does. We're not to have any appearance of evil. We're not to set any wicked thing before our eyes. God has nothing to do with this holiday. Nothing. And so I just want to remind you, neither do we. Neither do we. If you need clarification on some of that, you need more understanding, get a hold of me. I will sit down and talk. I love to talk to you about it. No, none of that candy either. See, that's what the devil's done. He's, he's turned this day and he's made it acceptable. And now you got even Christians that are okay with partaking in this, and it's, he's made it, it's the deception. It's like he looked, he looked at Eve, and he said, did God truly say, did God truly say you can't eat of everything in the garden? And he got her thinking, and he got her thinking, well, maybe it's going to be all right. She was deceived. Adam sinned. Adam disobeyed. He knew. God gave him the direct commandment. He knew, and he still ate the fruit. Now you know. And if you eat the fruit, you're going to be in sin. There's, there's, there's nothing that you could ever bring to me to make, you, to make me think that God is okay with us participating in any of this stuff. I could go into all the other holidays, too, if you'd like. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there. Those ones are a little more. This one is so blatant. Like, why would we, why would we, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. This ain't in my stuff here, but it's like if this is the line God draws, why do we want to get right here? Or why do we want to go right here? Why do we want to see how close we can get to, I don't want to get close to the line. I don't want to get over there. This world's not my home. Oh, well, that's the night little Susie and Jimmy, they go out and they play, and it's, you're just taking away all their fun. What do you do the other 364 days out of the year? My God, come on. So hopefully I didn't lose all of you because I do have a word from the Lord that goes beyond that. But I do feel like I needed to felt the Lord really telling me I needed to address that and remind us we don't have anything to do with that stuff. Amen? Amen. Yesterday we had a men's breakfast at a, a Apostolic Temple in South Bend. And um, I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to actually share most of the same sermon that I shared, shared with them, but you know, there's uh, a gentleman by the name of Bobby Wade. He's a prophet of God. Met him 
oh, when did I meet him? Last general conference. Last general conference. Got connected with him, started uh, talking with him and speaking with him and stuff. And he was from right up here in Michigan. He grew up up here. Now he lives in Texas. But um, as I was talking with him one day, he told me, he said, he said, there's the, nobody's ever dominated this region for Jesus. The spiritual strongholds of the enemy have never been broken. And uh, I was like, okay. And he's like, you guys are going to break it. Amen. Now, now he told me that, and I was like, ooh. Just like, what does that look like? What does that even mean? What's that entail? Like, but I was like, okay, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to receive that. And Jesus said, I don't have to know what it's all going to look like. I'm just walking after it. Amen. And I believe that's what God wants for us. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to um, Brother Jason Cisco, and he was talking, and uh, they, they, were, they had been on a 40-day fast. I think he was on like day 36 of this fast. And uh, he was talking, and he said, he, said, he, he, he said, there's churches out there right now that are praying, and they're breaking spiritual dominion in regions. And when, the, when that spiritual dominion's broken, talking about evil spiritual dominion, when it's broken, God's going to open up the spiritual portals of heaven and it's going to flow into the churches in those regions and the supernatural and the angels and all the things of the glory of God are going to flow through those churches. And as I, I was listening to that, God spoke to me. He said, that's what Brother um, Pastor McKinnis and his church is doing right now. And I was like, okay. So I got a hold of him. I said, hey, man, God told me something. Because these guys, they pray, <laughs> and they fast, and they pray, and they fast, and they, it's, it's what they do. He told me when I first started connecting with Brother McKinnis uh, about a year and a half ago or so, he said, he said, we've been praying and fasting for you, for me. And he started telling me all this stuff, and I was just like, oh, man, okay, God, okay, thank you, you know. And uh, it was just good to know that he was praying and fasting for us. This church is praying and fasting for us and what God has in store. And so I believe that God, just like he told me, God, through them, it's not just them, it's all of us, but through them and what they're doing specifically, God is breaking the spiritual dominion that's held this region since who knows when, amen, and he's breaking it down. And when it's all finally fully done and broken, God's going to release things into our churches, not our churches. Every church in this region, the things of the Spirit are going to flow freely into us and from us. And it's not going to affect just us, and it's not going to affect just our cities, but it's going to affect our region and our state and our nation and the world. Amen? And I believe that's why God, like, I feel like he's been moving us here lately, like, into the deep. Into the deep. He spoke to me the word consecration a few, probably a month and a half ago, and it's just been in my mind so much that we've got to be consecrated unto God. We've got to be set apart wholly and completely for him. And I was thinking the other day, or, or I was praying, and I felt the Lord, there's a story or a setting of scripture in Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's with the angel, and the angel's like, 
they're like standing out, they're measuring all this stuff, and they're standing outside the temple, and there's like all this water that's flowing from underneath the temple, and it's coming out of the temple, and it's flowing, and it, 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 as it goes, it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it creates a river, and wherever that water goes, whether it's desert, wherever, life springs up. It's flowing out of the altar from underneath the, from the presence and the glory of God. And the angels like step into the water and he steps out and it's like up to his ankles. And then it says go a little deeper and it's like up to his thighs, I think. And then it's like go out and it's up to his chest. And then it's like step out until water to swim in. And, you know, I think what God is trying to tell us is like he's going to remove our comfort and our reliance on this earth and on natural things. Like, I, I, I grew up in Texas, and we spent all kinds of time tubing down rivers and jumping off cliffs and all this stuff. We, we were, and there's, it's not like here. Like, the Elkhart River is nasty. You want to go swimming in that? You go swimming in that. This water wasn't, it was clean. It was clean. It was just all these, like, rain runoffs and stuff. But you'd get out there, and you could get into water and the, and the current. You'd feel the current coming, and it'd start to kind of take your balance, right, your security away. And the deeper you get, the more that current wants to mess with you, the harder it is for you to keep going. You have to, you have to be real intentional about your steps then. You can't just walk along any old way. You can even be in water up to your chest, pick your feet up, and the current will start taking you. But as you're going along, if you want, you can plant your feet back down and stand up. And you can get your balance back and your security and your comfort. But there's a point if you step out into the water that's above your head, waters to swim in. At some point, if you keep going out into the deep, you're going to get to a place where you just have to kind of let, the, let the, the flow carry you. And it's going to carry you where it wants. You may not see around the corner where it's taking you, but you're just going to trust the flow. And that's where God wants to take us. That's where God, not just us, his church, we're really good at relying on ourselves. We're really good at relying on the systems of this world. I'm not saying we're not to be part of that stuff because you almost got to be today, but we re- not to rely on it. That's not where my trust and my hope is. This stuff's all falling apart, guys, right? <laughs> like we see it. Like you, if you don't see it, you need to wake up because it's getting ready to get really wild probably. More than likely, it's going to get really wild. Like this ain't wild yet. Uh, Wait, wait till, let's wait till February and see where we're at around this world. It's getting ready to get real wild. Uh, and in that, God's going to be like, I got you, though. If I stay in his, under his wings, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. He's going to carry me through it. Now, if I get out and start trying to do my own thing and try to figure it all out and make it all right and do what I have to do in my own ability and all that, I might just get sucked down the river. But I don't want to get sucked. I want to flow in the river. <sighs> I want to talk to you guys today about being the keepers of the glory. The keepers of the glory. The word glory is kind of an interesting word. It's kind of, it's kind of really hard to define. When I think of the word glory, there's a couple of settings of scripture that really hit me. One is when the first temple was uh, completed 
and Solomon goes out and he, he uh, sacrifices all these animals to God and all this stuff. And the glory, it says the glory of the Lord came down like a cloud. And it was so strong that the people couldn't even minister to one another. Because in the glory, the wonder and the weight and the awesomeness of God will weigh down on you. Like you'll be in something. It's not like just walking out here like we do every day. But when we step into the glory, it changes everything. And then I also think about Moses. And Moses said to God, he said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I can't show you my glory. You'll die. But he, he let him see part of his glory. He let him come up into the mountain, and in that mountain, he was given all the commandments. He was given the first five books of the Bible. He was given the history of all creation. God spoke it into his life and gave him understanding and, and gave him revelation and all this stuff of what it was supposed to be like to be a person on this earth living for him. All that was given to him. So the first idea of glory is, is what I think of is uh, it's a Hebrew word called tefarah, tefarah, and it's the ornament, it's the beauty, it's the glory, it's the honor, it's the majesty of God, it's the wonder of God. And then the primitive word of that word is power, and um, it means uh, something that is, to embellish, to also explain, that is make clear oneself, make oneself clear. The glory brings understanding and it brings revelation and it brings truth to us, but it also brings the presence of God in a way that we can't just step into all the time. To a, to a presence of God that would cause us that, I mean, I felt the glory up here a little while ago. I was standing there, man, I couldn't even talk. I couldn't even talk. I just felt the weight of God and the love of God, the presence and the glory of God touching me so strongly. Like I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get up there and talk to these people. We've got to have the glory in our lives. We've got to have the glory in our lives. But if God allows us to reach into a place where we truly come into contact with his glory, We've got to make sure that we protect that glory, that we're willing to keep the glory. Amen. We have to be willing to protect it at all costs, not allowing anything in that would taint that glory. Now, you can't taint God's glory, but you can taint the atmosphere that would cause God's glory to leave you. Amen. You can allow things into your life that God's not okay with, that he doesn't like, that he doesn't want there, and his glory is not going to remain there. There isn't anything that man can do to mar God's glory, but what we do will determine whether God will trust us with his glory. The question is, can he trust us to protect and to keep his glory, his holiness, his purity, the deep things of him that he wants us to be surrounded by. The deep things of him that he wants us to walk in and to partake in and to be part of. But can he keep us, can he trust us to keep it and to protect it? I don't have time to go into the fact that God expects us to protect and to keep his glory. 
He's not doing it. He expects us to do it. Uh, maybe one day I'll go into all of that, but he expects us to be the ones that protect and to keep his glory. Amen. How I protect and keep what he gives me matters. Am I willing to share his glory with my glory or the world's glory? Or will I treasure it and do everything that I can to keep anything from getting close to it that would cause it to want to be away from me, that would cause it to not want to reside with me, that would cause it to not stay in my presence? I don't want to have anything in this world that would cause the glory of God not to, not to be present in my life where he would say, I'm going to pull that glory away from you because you're allowing other glory in your life. And God said, I will not share my glory with another. He's not going to share his glory with the world. He's not going to share the glory with your glory. He's not going to share with anything. So if I want the glory, his glory in my life, I've got to get everything else out of my life. Can he trust us to keep and to protect his glory? Or are we willing to allow things in that taint it? Because if we're willing to keep his glory... And reverence his glory. There's no end to what he will do in and through us. There's no end to where God can take you and the power that he'll pour into your life and the ability he'll give you and, and the, 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 the impact you'll have in this world if you'll protect his glory. There's no end to the places in him that we'll experience. He's beyond us, you guys. You're never going to get to the fullness of it. But he'll say, if he's, he's like, I got deep, are you willing to step out? Are you willing to come on out here? Come on, if you come on out here, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to carry you along. And I'm going to take you down. And wherever we walk, life's going to flow. Life's going to flow. Life's going to flow. I want to share a story with you. First, or Second Samuel 6 and 1, this is the amplified version. Virgin. Virgin? Virgin. That was weird. I said version, and I thought, that sounded like, it's the amplified version, version. Second Samuel 6 and 1. And David gathered, oh, well, let me jump back here. So uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence, the physical representation of God, in the Old Testament, it's, it's where the Ten Commandments were. It's where uh, the, the rod, Aaron's rod that budded was. It's where the pot of manna was to represent God's glory and his power and his miracles and his provision and everything that he is to the people. It's, it was the physical representation of God's presence. Amen. And uh, the ark had been taken by the Philistines. The David's people got, or maybe it was Saul. Saul's people got uh, beat up and, and they took the ark. But the ark was there, and they tried to let the other world, the world's glory rest with them. And God said, nah, and he started making them all sick, and he got them. They had all kinds of crazy stuff happen to them. So they're like, we're done with this. We don't want the glory. We're going to put it on a cart and send it out of here. And it ends up in Kerjeth Jerem. And um, David is now king, and David, David comes along, and he's like, Man, I want the glory back in my house. I want the glory back in our city and our nation. I want the glory in my church. He said, so I'm going to go back. I'm going to go get that 
ark. I'm going to go get the glory of God. And so 2 Samuel 6 and 1 said again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel. Amen. Notice that he chose the men. Ha. What is that? Why does that matter? Why? Because, men, you are supposed to be leading the things in your home. You're supposed to be leading the things in this world of the things of God, the spiritual things. We're real good at leading in the natural. We're real good at leading on our jobs. We're real good at administering the church and the processes of the church. We're real good at, at leading our home and what needs to be done. But we're supposed to be leading, men, in the things of the Spirit also. Amen. It's not mama's job to teach your kids how to pray. They'll be part of it, amen. They'll have a hand in all that, and thank God you all do. But it's our job, men, to teach our kids to walk after the Lord, to teach them to reverence the Lord, to love the Lord, thy God, with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, and thy strength. It's my job to teach my kids how to pray and how to worship and how to study the Word and how to love the Word. Teach your kids how to, how to live life. Teach them how to be responsible young adults and all that kind of stuff. Teach them how to fish and teach them, teach them how to throw a football and all that. But my God, men, you better be teaching them how to pray. And you better be teaching them how to find the glory of God. And you better be teaching them how to get into the word of God and to love that word. Men, we are supposed to lead the way. Even in the spiritual things. That's why David called together all the chosen men of Israel to go get the glory. Verse 2, and David arose and he went with all those that were, who were with him to Baal Judah or Kareth Jerem to bring up from there to Jerusalem the ark of God which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts who dwells enthroned above the cherubim. That's awesome, my God. That's the glory of God. He is the Lord of hosts, and he dwells above the cherubim, above all the angels. And God, he says, I got some glory for you, that if I, I put it in your hands and I'll let you take it with you, amen, I'll let it be part of your life, but are you going to keep it? Are you going to keep it? And so they placed the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio, Ahio was walking in front of the ark. So they got the ark, and it's on this cart. And they're coming along. And they've re-gathered up the glory, and they're bringing it home. It's, it's going good. They got, the, they got the ark back there, and they're dragging it along. It's coming along. And they're heading back home. We're bringing the glory home. And it says that meanwhile, David and all those of the house of Israel were celebrating and dancing before the Lord with all kinds of instruments. Amen. David said, I want the glory to come back home. I want the glory back in my house, and I want it in my nation, and I want it in my church, so I'm going to go get it. I want that glory to come back to us. Amen. And so they were going to get it. And as it was happening, it looked real good. Looked like every, the glory was coming with them. So they're worshiping. They're praising God. They're thankful. They're like, here comes the glory. Hallelujah. It's coming home. We're going to worship you, God. We're lifting you up. They're, they're exalting him. They're, they're, they're so glad for what's going on. 
And then you get to verse 6, and it says, When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out with his hand to the ark of God, and he took hold of it, because the oxen stumbled and nearly overturned it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his irreverence, for his wanting just, I'm going to step out and I'm going to grab a hold of the glory. And he died there by the ark of God. See, you can't just get the glory in your life any old way. The glory is not going to just show up any old way you decide you want to go get it. Amen. We can't just seek after the glory and the presence of God in our lives, in our churches, in our world by what is convenient or even by what seems right. David, when he started to build that cart to go get that ark, he found wood that had never been touched by anybody. He, he put, made that cart out of anything. He hollowed it. It was set apart. The oxen had never pulled anything in their life. These were consecrated animals. Everything was made and consecrated. It looked right and it seemed good. And they went to go get the ark, and they put the ark on that cart, and they started to pull it. And then the ox stumbled, and the glory moved, and Uzzah felt like he needed to reach out to protect it. That's all he was trying to do. But you can't carry the ark any old way. You can't carry it. might look good. Like it'd be way easier to just put that cart behind some ox and let the ox pull it all the way home. That'd be easy. That'd be the easy way to do it. That's how, that's how, that sounds like a good idea, it seems right. And so that's the way we're going to do it. But you can't just carry the glory any old way you want. I don't get to decide how the glory comes into my life. I got to follow after the way God says for me to do it. I got to do it the way he declared for me to do it. Because if I don't, somebody might die. Somebody might die. God will not allow his glory to be handled in just any old form or fashion that we see fit. And if we try to do it our way, then it just may cost the lives of others. And that glory will depart and reside with another. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace and mercy. But if we mess up, if we get out of line with God's hands and his way and his thoughts and his, his commandments and his design and all that, the glory might just leave. Our mercy and grace doesn't allow us to handle the glory outside of God's statutes and commands. His mercy and grace doesn't let me just dictate how things are going to go. I still got to stay submitted to him. I still got to stay, stay submitted to his word and to his direction. The glory can only be carried and kept the way that God wants it to be kept. Verse 8, David became angry and grieved and offended because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. He wasn't mad at God. He was mad at the situation. He was mad at what happened because he realized something was off. For some reason, God struck him dead. Something was off. And that place has been called Perizuza to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? In this day and age, you guys, we need to get a fear of the Lord in our lives. 
We need to have a fear of the Lord in our lives. I'm not talking like you're always trembling at God, but I need to understand that he is the God that holds my whole being. Amen. And he keeps life in me. Amen. It's by his will that I move about and have my being. And if any moment God says, well, it's your appointed time, it's my appointed time. And then I step into judgment. I don't want to go into judgment carrying the glory my own way. I don't want to be doing it my way. I want to do it his way. I want to be submitted to him. I want to be under him. I want to, uh, he's my head. He's my God. He's my God. I'm not my God. He is. I want to be submitted to him. We need the fear of the Lord back in our lives. But David asks a powerful question. How can the glory come near to me? How am I supposed to get the glory into my life and my church and my nation and the world? See, David just assumed that it would be good to do it that way. He said, I'm going to make some carts, and I'm going to set these carts apart, and I'm going to set apart uh, oxen. Everything's going to be set apart. They're not going to do anything else in their life or their creation except to carry the glory home. Sounds like a good idea. But after this happens, he goes home, and he asks the question, how can I get the glory home? How can I get the glory home? And he goes to the priest, and he goes back, and he starts looking, and he starts understanding that he was handling the glory the wrong way. Because you can't handle the glory just any old way. I can only handle the glory the way that he says for me to handle the glory. But it says, David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. Instead, he took it aside into the house of Obedidim, the Gittite. It says he was unwilling. He said, I, I can't, I, I realize this stuff is not right. Something was off. I'm not quite sure. I'm going to set this glory here for a minute. And I'm going to go figure out what's going on. I'm going to go find out what I need to do. I'm going to go find out what I need to do to make it right. Amen. And so he goes, and I guess it's like three months. And uh, verse 11, it says, So the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his, all his household and family. And now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. Why? Because the ark of God is there. Because where the glory is, the blessings of God flow. Where the glory is, the power and the anointing and the wonder of God is there. And it's going to not just touch your house, but it touched his whole family. And as they were watching, people were like, man, Obed-Edom, his household's being blessed. God's touching their life. God's doing a work in their life. Why? Because the glory was there. And they were like, huh, we see that the glory is blessing them. And David's like, I got to get the glory. Look, when you let the glory rest in your house, your house, it's not just going to bless you. It's not just going to bless your family. It's not going to even just bless this church. But there's going to be kings and there's going to be people in this world that look and they see the glory in your life and they see what God is doing. And it's going to draw them to you. And because not you, it's the glory of God that's in your life. And they'll see what God's doing. And it's going to draw them to them. And then they're going to receive the glory. And it's going to touch their lives. And it's going to flow from them and others are going to see their life and it's going to spread it's going to spread it's going to spread but i gotta have it we gotta have the glory and we've got to protect it 
people are going to see it when it's there. And they're going to recognize it. If you've kept the glory, the same glory that has kept you is going to touch their lives. It says, so David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with rejoicing and gladness. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, first time he's like, I'm going to just put it on some ox. Ox are big and strong. They can handle this. They'll pull this thing right down the road. It won't be anything. I'll let them pull it. I'll let them handle it. That's not the way God ever intended for the glory to be carried. We're supposed to put poles in that glory. We're supposed to set it on our shoulders. We're supposed to carry it with us. We're supposed to walk with it. We're supposed to make sure that we're the ones that make it, that if the ground gets a little bit crazy, we're going to sustain that glory. We're going to keep it, and we're going to hold it. It was never meant to be pulled by anything else. It was meant to be carried by the priests. So David went up, and he brought the God the uh, ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with rejoicing and gladness. Amen. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord by its poles had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. The glory is something that we have to bear and to keep. And understand this. you got to understand this. God's glory follows commitment. God's glory follows commitment. It's going to take great commitment and sacrifice for us to fully step into the revival and harvest that is upon us. Amen. Not the one that's coming, but the one that's here that God's leading us into right now. Amen. But it's going to take commitment and it's going to take sacrifice by the people to step into that harvest fully. God's glory follows commitment. It's going to take much of our time and our resources to fully step into the glory that God wants us to walk and to live in every day. But God's glory follows that commitment and sacrifice. The march from Obed-Edom's house was three and a half miles. Three and a half miles. It's not that far. Some of you guys walk that every day. Some of you walk way more than that. Some of you run that for fun. It's three and a half miles, man. Like, that's nothing. That's not that far, right? But yet this walk of three and a half miles was no stroll in the park because they were going to carry the glory. And it was going to take some commitment, and it was going to take some sacrifice. They stopped every six steps and made another round of sacrifices and began to give God worship. What we did in here this morning, they stopped every six steps and did it. Glory, 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 glory. I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to worship you every six steps. 3.5 miles is about 7,000 steps for the average man. So if David stopped every six paces, they stopped over 1,600 times. 
And they gave their sacrifices and their worship. 1,600 times they stopped and they began to worship God. And they began to make sacrifices. And they glorified God. And then they were like, okay, we're going to move a little farther. And the priests would pick the glory up again. And they'd put it on their shoulders because they had to carry it. And they would take it another six paces. And then they would stop. And they would worship. And they would sacrifice animals. And then they would go another six paces. And they would stop. And they would sacrifice animals. And they would worship God. If each one of those blowout worship services lasted five minutes, and I don't know, I don't know how you'd sacrifice an ox and a fatling in five minutes, but maybe they got really good at it real fast. You know, I mean, they had a lot of practice. But we'll say five minutes. If it only lasted five minutes, it would have taken them almost four days to walk that three and a half miles. Four days. Can you imagine the commitment? Can you imagine the sacrifice required to march from Odebedim's house to, to Jerusalem? Those oxes and fatlings was everything to them. That was their source of provision. That was their source of income. That was their livelihoods. And they took it and they sacrificed over 1,600 of them just to get the glory back home into Jerusalem, just to get the glory back into the church and into their nation and into this world. 1,600 times. It's going to take great commitment and sacrifice to release all that God has for us. But David understood that that kind of commitment was going to bring the glory to my house. It's worth it. It's worth it. Whatever I got to do, it's worth it. I want the glory in my house. I want the glory in my church. I want the glory in this city. I want the glory in this world. Amen. I want, God, whatever I got to do, Lord, you just tell me I'm going to sacrifice it. I'm committed, God. I'm committed. Whatever I got to do, I'm going to do it, Lord. And that kind of commitment is going to bring the glory to the church. It's going to bring the glory. If you're willing to make the sacrifice, if you're willing to do the commitment, the glory will come into your life, and it will rest with you, and it will bless you. Because the glory follows our commitment sacrifices. Your God, the commitments will bring the glory of God into your midst. Don't let your commitments to God slip in this day and hour. Don't compromise your commitments to God. Don't take the word of God and begin to play around with it and say, well, we don't have to really do all that. Do I have to do all that? Is holiness necessary? Is, is living this life this way necessary? Is separation from the world really mean separation from the world? Or can I, can I get up on the line a little bit? Can I just, yeah, if I, here's the line, okay, God, I'm just going to step on the line. I'm going to step right across it. It'll be all right. Your glory, the glory's not coming with you. The glory's not going to be there. Your godly commitments will bring the glory of God into your midst. Verse 14, and David was dancing before the Lord. Man, I just felt like David this morning a little bit. Felt the David spirit on me, man. I just wanted to dance, amen, with great enthusiasm. <laughs> I don't think I was doing it great enthusiasm. I probably hurt something. 
maybe great enthusiasm for, for me. <laughs> David was wearing a linen ephod. You know, when you got the glory, when you know that your commitments are set, when you know you've been doing it the way God's been telling you to do it, and you've sacrificed what you need to sacrifice, and you're carrying the glory the way God wants you to carry the glory. When you're carrying that glory, it's going to bring joy into your life. It's going to bring a, a sense of worship and glory, uh, praise into your life where you're going to walk around. You're not going to be all beat up and downtrodden. It's not God's will for you to be beat up and downtrodden. It's for God's will for you to walk in the joy of the Lord. Amen. For that is my strength. And when I'm in alignment with God, I have a good conscience with him. And I know that I know that I know that my God is with me and that his glory is upon me. Amen. And I can walk with him in purity and I'm protecting his glory and then I can lift him up and I can give him joy I can give him my worship and praise it's the overflow it's the overflow David's going bonkers dancing into Jerusalem because the glory's coming home because the glory's coming home we went and got it we did it the way we were supposed to and now it's home it's back in our nation it's in our church it's in our world When you're handle, handling the glory according to his ways, and you know that the glory is coming home to affect not just your house, but the whole church, but the whole church, praise and worship will be the result. Praise and worship will be the result. It's hard to praise and worship when you're not standing in the glory when... Maybe the glory of something else is in the way. Verse 15. I love this right here. Because now it says, so David and all the house of Israel. It was just the chosen men. It was the 30,000. It was just the priesthood. It was the, the men. But now it's all of Israel. Because they protected the glory, and they did it God's way, and they made the commitments, and they made the sacrifice. Now all of Israel is standing there, and they're seeing the ark of the Lord come into the city, and they're, they're the ones now shouting with joy and with the sound of the trumpet. It's not going to affect just you when you let the glory rest in your life, and you keep the glory, and you protect the glory. That glory is not just going to bless you and bring joy into your life, but it's going to touch those around you. It's going it, to, they're going to be able to come into that blessing and the glory and it's going to bring joy into their life and hope into their life. All the house of Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord up. They're all coming now. Yeah, we want the glory. We want the glory. We see you, David. We see you, mighty man. Hallelujah. But we want the glory too. And we're going to worship you for it. And thank you. Thank you, David, for, for leading the way. Hallelujah. But now we're going to pick it up. And we're going to carry it. Verse 16. Then as the ark of the Lord came into the house of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked down from the window above and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she felt contempt in her heart. Because she thought him undignified. 
There's going to be people in your life that look at your commitment and look at your sacrifice, and they're not going to understand it. They're not going to understand it. They're going to even question, do you really got to do all that? Do you really have to do all of that? They're not going to understand it. That's okay, David. You just keep worshiping God. You just keep keeping the glory. We're going to love those people. We're going we're gonna to live it before them. Amen. And we're going to let that glory shine. And hopefully one day, one day that glory touches them. And they say, okay, I see it now. Yeah, I'm willing to make that commitment. Yeah, I'm willing to make the sacrifices because I want the glory in my life too. But even if they don't ever come, you keep fighting. You keep protecting. You keep the glory. You protect it. You're the keeper of the glory. They may not understand. Hallelujah. But just because others don't understand and even ridicule you for your commitment to keep the glory, you stay committed. You stay committed. You keep giving. You keep sacrificing. You keep protecting. You keep leading. You keep protecting the glory that God has trusted you with. And not just your family is going to be blessed. Not just your family is going to be blessed, but your church is going to be blessed. And the city is going to be blessed. And this region is going to be blessed. This nation's going to be blessed. The world's going to be blessed. It's going to flow from you and from us. And it may not be you necessarily that goes out there, but God's going to bring people into our lives. And the, the glory's going to touch them, and it's going to get on them. And they're going to take it into the world. They might end up somewhere you'll never go, but that glory's going to go with them. And there's going to be people there that are then going to be touched because you protected the glory. That glory was able to be passed to them, and they protected the glory. And that glory's going to go to another. You got to protect the glory. You got to protect the glory. It's so much bigger than me or you. It's so much bigger than us. If I don't protect the glory, somebody might die. Or the glory might had to sit over here for a while and go somewhere else because I didn't do it the way God wanted me to do it. I didn't keep it the way he wanted me to keep it. They brought the ark of the Lord, and they set it in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The dude just made over 1,600 sacrifices. The glory gets home. And he says, I'm going to make some more. God, search me even more. God, if there's anything, search me. Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. If there's anything in my life that would cause this glory to ever be removed from me again, show me, God. And I'm going to sacrifice that thing. I'm going to leave it at the altar. I'm going to leave it before you. I don't want it in my life. I want your glory in my life. Your, your presence is more important to me than anything in this world. Whatever you want from me, God, I'm going to lay it down before you. Yeah, I've been living the life. I've been doing real good. I've been worshiping you. I've been living this life for many years. But, God, if there's anything in me, God, I'm going to come before the glory one more time. And, God, if I have to make a sacrifice, a peace offering with you, I'm going to sacrifice it. And I'm going to make a peace offering with you because I want your glory in my life. I want your glory in my life. 
verse 18 says, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of the hosts of armies. And he distributed to all the people the entire multitude of Israel. He brought the glory home. And by doing that, it blessed all of Israel. It's so much bigger than you and I. It's so much bigger than you and I. The next chapter, 2 Samuel 7, talks about God coming down and talking with David and the prayer that he of consecration and it's awesome. You should read it. It's beautiful that he prayed with the Lord, the conversation that went on there. And then you get to the, the eighth chapter, and it says, And now it came about after this, after all that, that David defeated the Philistines, the enemy that had always been attacking the nation from its inception. And he defeated the Philistines, and he took control of their main cities, and he defeated Moab, <laughs> and he defeated uh, the Moabites, and he defeated Hadiazar, the son of Rahab, the king of Zobah. It goes on, and it says, and David defeated these people, and David defeated these people, and David defeated these people, because when the glory is there, the enemy can't stand. The enemy cannot have any influence in your life if you keep the glory. The glory will always push back against the darkness, because he is light. The enemy is darkness. That light will always push back, and if I protect that glory, in my life. The enemy can't have any authority in my life. The, en- the only way he has any authority in my life is if I let him in. If I breach the glory. If I make a, make a, make a breach in my commitment, God, okay, you know, I'm going to step across the line. Not let the influence of the enemy in. <sighs> God's greater than every wile of that enemy. God's greater than every attack of the enemy. He's more powerful than than anything the enemy can throw at you. Unless I don't protect the glory. If I open up the door to let other things into the presence of the glory, then I could be attacked. Because the glory is not going to just dwell with things I allow from this world to sit in my life. Stand to our feet. God. Why don't you lift your hands right now? Come on. What's God speaking to you? My God, my God, my God. My God, my God, my God, my God. God, I want the glory. God, I want the, I want the glory. God, I'm not satisfied, God, with God, just surface relationship with you. I want to go into the deep things of you, God. I want to, I want to rest in your glory, God. I want to move about and have my being in your glory, God. I don't know if there's anybody else in here that feels that way. Uh, why don't you step out of your seats and come pray? Mm-hmm. 
I know we don't have a bunch of music blasting, so it makes it hard to pray. Ah, Jesus. Come on, why don't you forget about the people around you? What God, what's God speaking to you right now? What's God saying, Lord? I want you to commit some things to me. Maybe you've, you've, you've removed some of that commitment, and God's saying, no, I want you to recommit. Maybe there's some things in your life that God's saying, I need you to sacrifice it. Hallelujah. Maybe you've been trying to carry the glory your own way, and God's saying, no, that's not how you carry my glory. You need to carry it like this. Maybe you need to reach over and pick it up the way he wants you to pick it up. Oh, God. I want the glory, God. I want the glory in my life. I want the glory in my home. I want the glory in my church, God, because it's going to flow. It's going to flow. It's not just going to bless me. It's going to bless those around me. It's going to, people are going to see it. They're going to be drawn to you because they see your glory in our lives. They're going to see it. Amen. It's going to draw people to you.